exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down I'm C.J. Layton coming to you from inside the Phantom Radio Studios in Lake Wales, Florida home of the premier radio bowling talk show. Long ago, Bowlers Journal International called Phantom Radio a pioneer in the field of bowling podcasts because the show was regularly scheduled at the same time each week. The late Kegel owner, the great John Davis, told Len Nicholson to start this program because, quote, people need to know what you know, end quote. This PBA and bowling writer Hall of Famer has now recorded over 1,200 shows and has featured over 425 guests since 2002. 20 years plus of bowling knowledge, story sharing, and true expertise. Phantom, we need to know what you know. So Phantom fans, here's your host, Len Nicholson, the Phantom. Well, thank you, CJ, and a reminder that Phantom Radio is presented by the Kegel Company. Well, Phantom fans, this week's guest is a man who is instrumental with the success of Phantom Radio and has been a close friend and mentor to me for about 50 years. And his resume is varied among many topics, including history, journalism, politics, baseball, and a lot more, not to mention he was also a top golfer and bowler back in the day, and he was a frequent guest here, and occasionally he would come on with <laughs> fellow great Carmen Salvino when <laughs> it turned out to be some of the most entertaining shows we've ever had. So, Phantom fans, welcome back, Jim Dressel. Hello, Jim, and welcome back to Phantom Radio, and happy birthday. <laughs> okay, but uh, let's not light any candles on a cake because we'll burn the place down if we do that. <laughs> well, I, I know you're around 80 because we're about the same age, so it's a yep. hard thing to say that you're 80 years old or more. <laughs> I never even figured much uh, on living past 60, so I'm grateful for the extra time and and it's good to be friends with someone like you. Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, besides family, there's nothing better than friendship. And as a matter of fact, I got a lot, some of my friends are better with me than some of my family because you can, <laughs> you can choose your friends, you know, but you can't choose your family. <laughs> there you go. <clears throat> but anyway, speaking of family, I, I want to throw this in. You know, I know I met your daughter and her husband, Chris, and you've got some of the greatest family of all time, man. They were just super kids. And I was a, I went to that wedding, as you know, we went together, and that was one of the best times of my life. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, especially those $100 cigars that we smoked at the end of the evening. Oh, man, I, I miss them. Oh, I tell you, I don't smoke them anymore. <laughs> Me and you were both banned from smoking, which is... A great idea. Go. That's one of the reasons why we're 80, because we never would have made it. 
There you go. I'll tell you, you know, but I'm, as my good friend Don Gates once said, I'm glad to be on the positive side of the grass rather than under the grass. So, boy, we'll take that any day. I'll tell you. You know, there's so many directions we can go. Uh, we've known each other a long time, but uh, let's start with your health. You know, a couple of years ago, you had a setback. Uh, so tell us, we've had a lot of interested people asking about you over the years. You've been gone. So tell us how you're doing, Pards. Well, um, I'm doing okay. I'm as incorrigible as ever. And uh, basically, I had a bout with cancer. Apparently, uh, cancer retreated to a neutral corner and never to be heard from again. I hope that continues. And I had uh, two bouts with uh, pneumonia. But I haven't had COVID, by the way, and uh, I consider myself lucky. I do what I do in terms of, you know, approaching all these, you know, vaccines and all the masking and all the stuff. I take, you know, ordinary precautions, but I took the uh, two Pfizer vaccines and that's it. I said, these guys don't really sound like they know what they're talking about. They want me to take these boosters, and they say they'll help you never to get COVID again, and they're getting COVID again. So I'm saying these guys don't know what they're talking about. I'm not going to listen to them. And so far, it's it's worked out. I haven't had COVID at all, so thank you. Well, thank goodness for that. You know, I haven't either. Uh, we've been lucky in that regard. <clears throat> but, you know, in the intro, I mentioned in your resume uh, baseball, golf, and bowling. You know, I've got a lot of resources, and you've told me to always look into some of the interviews that you're going to do and check back, find out a little bit more about the person. But, you know, I, I heard that you were pretty good at all three. What was your evaluation of yourself? Uh, did you ever think you could make a career out of any of those three? Well, from a participation point of view, no. Um, I, you know, I was pretty good at all three of them. Baseball, we played, when I was a kid, we played uh, from sun up to sundown, and, uh, you know, never really wanted to do anything else all day, just I enjoyed baseball so much, I kept doing it, and then when I, uh, a little later uh, in my youth still, I was a golfer, and I got to the point where, you know, my, my best handicap, I was a five handicapper at one point. That was a long time ago, and I'm in, I don't even play anymore because of a bad back. And then, in in uh, as far as playing golf, if I didn't do it, I didn't do well. You know, I could I needed to play to to do as well as I could. So I turned to bowling, and that's you know my highest average was a 192. My highest book average was a 192. But I never dreamed that I could make a career out of any of them. And then, uh, you know, when I started writing about bowling, uh, Norm Edelman, who, you know, started the high roller, tapped me on the shoulder one time and said, after I wrote a, an angry letter to the editor to one of his newspapers uh, about something or other, I can't even remember what it was, how would you like to come work for me? And I'm like, in bowling. And I'm like, well, it beats the insurance business because that's what I was in at the time as an actuarial assistant. And uh, so I said, sure, let's do it. I didn't think of it even then as a profession, but obviously uh, I stayed with it. 
And Mort Lou came along and he tapped me on the shoulder and said, how'd you like to come to work for the Bowler's Journal? And I'm saying, man, I said, if, I, if I'm going to do this, I might as well work for the best. And uh, that was, the, as far as I was concerned, the best. So that's what happened. And that's how I got into it and stayed into it. So, somebody somebody once said that I wouldn't last two years. And I'm like, that was the wrong thing to say to me because I said, screw that. I'm going to last forever. And uh, I did. So whatever. I was I was 38 years with the Polish Journal. So it was, it was fun. So did you go to college uh, for journalism or, or you just fell into it or did you teach yourself or tell us about that a little bit? I really didn't go to college in, uh, as a journalist uh, in, in any way, stretch, form. But it's one of the things that I minored in English. I majored in math. I minored in English. Crazy, you know, mix there. But And uh, then when I started working for Bowler's Journal, I'm thinking to myself, gee, I guess maybe I'm in this for more than just a couple of years. So I decided to find out uh, what I could about it, and I figured I'd check out a book out of the library and I looked and looked okay here's one and I started reading through the book it teaches you how to be a, a writer and it's like I almost fell asleep in the first chapter I'm like <laughs> he's trying to tell me how to be a better writer and I can't even stay awake through the damn book <laughs> so anyway I decided to do a little bit better job of searching and I discovered uh the Wisdom of Rudolph Flesh, and he's the one who wrote Why Johnny Can't Read. He taught me about the Flesh method of writing, F-L-E-S-C-H. And uh, I really improved uh, as a result of that. And I guess because of that, I I was able to stay a, a writer, and that became my profession for 38 years. That is an awesome story. You know, you must have had some hidden talents. And then, you know, when you read the book, he must have fleshed them out of you. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> you got it. You know, in your role as editor uh, with Boa's Journal for years and years, I know that you interviewed all the top stars. If possible, can you cite your favorite interview? And if it was a bowler, who was that? Well, my favorite interview was anyone that was doing that particular month. I really enjoyed that format of doing the interview. I guess I was really taken with the Playboy interviews, you know, and that was one feature of that magazine that I could always count on really enjoying, uh, along with some of the other obvious ones. Anyway, I decided that we'd have a, an interview in the magazine every month. And so I really enjoyed all of the ones that I did. It's like, I think you can see that. And maybe that's one of the reasons why the readers uh, who enjoyed the uh, magazine, uh, I hope they did. Uh, but at any rate, almost any one of the interviews I did in any particular month were, you know, some of the most enjoyable. My favorites uh, were with uh, with Salvino, as you just mentioned, Dick Weber and Earl Anthony. I don't know. They I interviewed those guys more than anybody, I think. And one of the things about Salvino, he said, all you have to do is just turn your tape recorder on and sit it in front of them and then leave the room and come back in an hour or so. <laughs> yeah. And that guy could go wild. So you don't want to do that and let him loose and uh, <laughs> free to roam wherever he wants. Cause who knows where it'll take you, but you need to kind of bring him in a little bit every once in a while. Cause he is a wild guy. But I, 
I I did uh, some crazy interviews, including some crazy dude that you know calls himself the Phantom. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you know anything about that guy. <laughs> I remember. In fact, you even had him on the cover. Oh yeah, we lost a lot of subscribers when that happened. I'll tell wow. you, I can't believe it. <laughs> wow. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny you say that because Salvino used to tell me he says, "I know you're calling me because your sub your your subscribers are down this month. You need a, a rating <laughs> fix, so you're calling me." Well, that's why I'm calling you. I want to have the thing come back again, Parts. <laughs> he needs to get some new material when he's stealing jokes from me. That's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, but anyway, one of the things, I mean, I, we had Rudy Reslin the cover. Uh, and one of my favorites of all was uh, when I got the, uh, the presidents of both uh, AMF and Brunswick, the two leading bowling manufacturers at the time, uh, Fred Florjanic of Brunswick and, Still nicely of uh, AMF. I didn't even look at my notes for the first 45 minutes of that interview. You know, I had it's a lead-off question. Basically, it flowed from there. It's like that was one of the most enjoyable interviews I ever did. It was from start to finish, getting industry leaders like that together of competing companies. I I enjoyed the the heck out of that one. Well, you know, I don't know if there's a formula for success with interviews, but the thing that you were most known for, as far as I know, was you would always do both sides of the story. You would not only bring out the, the good things that that person did, but also if he did something negative. You'd do both sides. And, you know, that, that was very interesting. It wasn't all flowers. And, and that was really respected by a lot of people that I know. Well, well, thanks. I didn't, uh, I didn't know that. But one of the things about... Uh, doing both sides was um, I was accused once of not doing that. And it made me, and the guy that accused me of that was uh, Chuck Pisano, who a lot of people uh, have said, you know, he and I shouldn't be invited to the same party at the, during our heydays. But uh, he taught me that lesson. And like I did the Don Glover interview, essentially he was uh, disbarred from competing in PVA events for a year and it turned into a lifetime. And I went after that story. He would shut me out. No, I don't want to do that interview. And he kept saying, no, no, no. And I kept coming back to him every so often, just asking. And finally said, yeah, I think it's about time we, we told that story. And then I interviewed him. And he and Pisano got on my back because I never told the other side of the story. He apparently said, got really upset at somebody who turned him in for an infraction and that's what led to the suspension and he was really upset about it so 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 much so that he said i'm gonna kill that guy and pisano said i should have told the other side of that story so the other side of that story was kurt schmidt was the guy in question so i told i told uh kurt schmidt's story the following month and it, it told me that there are, are always two sides to a story but one of the things, as far as bowling is concerned, is I always enjoyed my tenure with the uh, with the Bowlers Journal because with all my interest in sports, not as a competition, but a, you know as a uh, journalistic endeavor and reading about sports that I really enjoyed, 
I always thought that sports was great escapism. And they're missing that lesson today with all this wokeism that's going around. I mean, I used to enjoy in when I was just, you know, in college and shortly afterwards, in order, basketball, baseball, and uh, what was the other sport? Um, golf? Well, golf, yeah. I, I enjoyed reading about them. And uh, football wasn't even on my uh, horizon. And I enjoyed... Uh, I enjoyed reading about, you know, some of the defeats, and I enjoyed watching the, the games on television. And I was lucky enough when I came from the East Coast, I lived in the Philadelphia area, so I had, and basketball was my number one sport at that time in terms of following it. I was lucky enough to, you know, enjoy Wilt Chamberlain. You know, I could watch him on TV, and then along came Dr. J. So I, I was really enjoying that, and I went to see a few of their games. And then when I moved to Chicago, then I had uh, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. So that was pretty damn great. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that. Well, you know, one thing that uh, I want to know about, uh, we talked a little bit about the formula for success. Um, I think on, well, I don't know if you want to call it your gravestone, but, you know, I think one thing that be, should be mentioned is the, the word provocative. You know, when I... I first talked to you, we've been over that before a little bit, and uh, you've always been provocative, and I thought that was a negative thing, but I found out it was a positive thing because it was a way for you to get people to speak up and do other things that you wanted them to do. Well, one, one of the things about somebody who's stuck in something that's provocative, some kind of a provocative story or other, they want to eventually get a chance to tell their own side of the story because sometimes they're being accused of something that they're really not guilty of. And, uh, you know, that allowed me to talk to some of these people. And I used to go places where nobody else went. And because uh, it's like I, I did an interview from the point of view of um, wanting to talk about the person in an area of their life or activities that was of most interest to me and I would think other readers. So that's the way I approached uh, a lot of those interviews. And they uh, opened up to me in ways that I wasn't even expecting sometimes. You know, I, I mentioned earlier, and we talked a little bit about sports for most of this interview, but, you know, we have been so lucky and so fortunate to witness, you know, some of the greatest players sports for all time. You know, uh, yep. we can tell people, We've watched Willie Mays. We watched Wayne Gretzky. We watched Muhammad Ali. We saw Sandy Koufax, Tiger Woods. And, you know, we could go on and on and on with superstars. And like you said, you, you've interviewed a lot of them, and most of them probably over the time. But if there was a chance that you could interview someone, who would you like to add to that list? <laughs> You're a sneaky guy, Phantom. <laughs> Uh, why? Uh, why is that? Well, I've told you this story a couple times, but it's like a name that probably doesn't ring a bell with most listeners is the name of Daryl Imhoff. He's the guy who was a center that played uh, guarded against uh, Wilt Chamberlain at a game in 1962 in Hershey Arena. And I was at that game. Wilt Chamberlain scored 100 points. <laughs> and one of the reasons 
there's a couple of reasons, but one of the reasons was Daryl Imhoff was the number three center for the New York Knickerbockers. And, uh, you know, the, the number one guy had an excused absence, uh, a family leave, and the number two guy was, I guess, had a flu or something. So that meant Daryl Imhoff was the starting center for the Knicks. And Will Chamberlain was his, uh, the guy he was guarding. Well, he has scored 100 points that game, and I would love to have had the chance to talk to Daryl Imhoff about that game. The other reason, by the way, that uh, Will Chamberlain scored 100 points was that uh, he made 28 of his 32 foul shots, his free throws, I should say. And uh, he never made – he was like Shaq. He couldn't make foul shots. He was, he was like uh, a 50% free throw shooter. But he he hit him what ninety percent that night, which helped him get to the the hundred point total. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And I don't I don't know if we're ever going to see a hundred point game by anybody else at that level because you know they take him out. Well, Chamberlain uh, played almost every game, all the way through. You know he averaged over forty eight minutes a game, uh, or however long. I don't even know how long those games take. Help me out here. What the uh, he played the whole game, yep. and he rarely needed a rest. It was really kind of amazing to watch him play. Well, I think they invented the word for him. Uh, even it's used nowadays a lot, but I think he was the first one I ever heard uh, announcers call him a freak. He was a definite yeah. freak, well over well, seven he, feet. He was, an, he was an athlete all the way, you know. You see pictures of him now, uh, videos, rather, of him. Uh, doing the, uh, not the pole vault, maybe, but the, you know, high jump and everything. He was really gifted. You know, uh, we're running a little bit short on time, but there's one thing that I've never asked you, and I want to ask you in this interview, uh, and I want you to be as as full-throated as you want to be with the <laughs> extent of how far you want to go. I'm being nosy. If they ever told you to write an autobiography, it would probably take you uh, 20, 30 years to write it all down because you've done a lot. And when you've done a lot, that means something in the past. What do you have on a bucket list if you do have one? Actually, I don't. I guess if I was putting together a bucket list, I'd have to start with like things that weren't expected, like the 100-point game of Will Chamberlain, and uh, start from there. But uh, uh, one of the things that I'm doing right now, I guess, is would be in that bucket list. I'm going to college again. I'm taking some online courses. I've ta- I've passed six courses on everything from modern philosophy to uh, public policy to the Federalist Papers, and uh, and I'm enjoying it. I mean, you know, it basically it keeps my head in the game. And I'm I guess I hear a lot of stories about people whose head isn't in the game, like you know the guy sitting in the uh, Oval Office, you know, there's a lot of stories about that, and I don't really even want to, you know, listen to things like that. But it's like that keeps my head in the game, and it's it's pretty interesting. Well, it it seems to me, you know, all the times we've known each other and talked, uh, you have a thirst for knowledge, and I'm certainly happy that you're continuing that because it's done one more thing that's brought us closer together because we've talked about this a little bit, and and that is. You know, you're taking these classes at Hillsdale College. I went to Hillsdale High School. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> About that. What's that called? Six degrees of something? I don't know. Separation. Yeah. 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 So we're, we're closely, uh, in age, about a month apart. Uh, we both interested in sports. Uh, you taught me how to do interviews. I'm still learning and I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting closer to 90 than I was 70. That's really scary. It's hard to say. Yeah. Well, you do a great job uh, with that interview. I really enjoyed ones I listened to and, uh, I enjoy it when, you know, you and I get together, but it's like, I've been out of that, you know, mainstream for a while. Yeah. And, uh, in some ways I really miss it because as I said, you know, all sports, well, I should say all sports were at one point, uh, good escapism, you know, you escape from the, the BS that goes around in terms of government and other things that, you know, you just can't escape, and especially today. Now that all these sports are becoming woke. In fact, the only sport I, you know, basketball used to be my favorite to, to follow. And I don't even follow that anymore. It's kind of last place, but I, I really enjoy football, but you know, they're getting woke too. I'd rather at this point, go back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, do me a favor. You stay close with me and Lindsay, your daughter, and Chris, your son-in-law, and all the people you love, Bards, because, you know, you've been an icon in our life, and we want that to continue. So you got a closing statement as I look at the clock on the wall? Well, you've been an icon in my life, and uh, that's one of our good friends. We kind of see eye to eye on so many things on so many different things and you keep doing a great show and I'll look out for that phantom because I wouldn't want him to scare you now. <laughs> All right, parts. Well, as I mentioned, the old clock on the wall says we're almost out of time and I look forward to talking to all of you again next week. We'll have another interesting guest to talk to and want to thank our sponsors, Storm Bowling, the Christmans, they're wonderful people. And Brad Edelman, uh, who you mentioned you worked for his dad at one time. He's one oh, of yeah. our sponsors at the High Roller. And also Dave Kowalski, the bowling guru from Michigan, who gives us hope because they got 7,000 junior bowlers up there. So <laughs> yeah, that's going to be our future. So from Phantom Radio, thank you, Jim. You stay healthy. God bless you. This is a Phantom. When you're down and troubled And you need some loving care And nothing, well, nothing is going right Close your eyes and think of me And soon I...